it was hard um, to leave my roots of 30 years. I, I gave up all of that network um, to go to a new land where I knew no one. We packed two suitcases and seven boxes and we moved to a new state. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Today on the podcast, we have none other than Aquila Farrell, also known as Ms. Church Dress, who in a matter of a few years built a successful digital brand strategy business. It's no surprise, this former biochemist uses all of the skills of process orientation and detail and science research in her own business. You want to listen in to find out why failing a math test in seventh grade propelled Aquila to the top of her class. And you also want to hear what happened when she agreed to move with her husband from her home of 30 years in Toronto, Canada to San Francisco, California. There were emotional ups and downs, but Aquila was able to forge ahead to build a brand and a business like no other. So today in the Disrupting Balance guest chair, we have Aquila Farrell. You all may know her as Miss Church Dress. So welcome to the chair. How are you? I'm well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. And as you know from our previous discussion, Disrupting Balance is all about women's stories and how we embrace the imbalance to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. So let's start by hearing your story. Wow. I don't know where to begin. There's so many pieces to it, but I, you know, as a child, my lifelong dream was to become a doctor. And not only was it a dream, I was also scoring in the top 5% in organic chemistry. So mm. I was a true academic who really knew my stuff. And my parents, you know, my father is a carpenter. My mom is a, a dressmaker. You know, they had no idea what to do with a child who was excelling in organic chemistry. Mm. Um, and after talking with friends, my dad's like, maybe you should do medicine. And I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to do medicine. I'm going to go for it. Um, so my lifelong dream, you know, was to be a, be a doctor to the point where I was working with the U university of Toronto in a part of, you know, one of their cohort studies to follow students from grade 10 into the completion of medical school. And mm -hmm. it was a study that focused on, um, black, black, you know, boys and girls who had this dream. And it was a true honor to be a part of it. You got all this special treatment, a lot of press. Um, mm -hmm. and attention from the doctors because you were supposed to be the group that succeeded. But I quickly realized, you know, as I got older, that medicine may not be the solution for me. Mm -hmm. I had this huge passion for um, fashion and for creative. Along with being great at chemistry, I could really sew. And when I say sew, I mean, I could, you know, see a dress in the store, buy the fabric, 
cut the fabric and actually have a dress that I could wear um, wow. that looked, you know, retail ready um, and runway ready. And that was a skill that I picked up from my mom and my aunt. Uh, so as I got older and I started working in cancer research at one of the top cancer centers in the world, I realized that sitting be- in a lab or behind a desk might not be what I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, my husband had gotten the call to move to San Francisco, uh, which was a great opportunity for a black man in tech. And I said, you know, I'm going to come with. Um, and he looked at me and said, so how, what are you going to do when you're there? Because you won't have a visa. You can't work. And he's like, maybe you should start a blog or something that would keep you, you know, busy. And I said, okay, I'll start a blog. Reluctantly, mm-hmm. um, I started my blog and it just took off from there. And three years later, I built an amazing social content and social media empire that continues to grow. And I'm very proud of, um, of course, it was very difficult to tell my, my West Indian parents that, hey, I don't want to do medicine. <laughs> um, my dad took it easy, which was surprising. Uh-huh. But my dad is a writer. He like him and I are pretty much the same person. Um, so he was like, okay, if she doesn't want to do it. There has to be something else. My mom, um, she's very traditional. So she thought when I got married, I should have, you know, kind of let go or changed my direction. Um, my uncle was not happy. Um, but I s- told him, I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to do med- medicine, I'm going to do something greater. And that's what drives me every day. Um, you know, the prestige of medicine is very, very, you know, it's a part of the black community, West Indian, African American, African. Um, but I said, no, I'm going to do something better. And I feel like I've accomplished that. Um, now I hear my dad talk to his friends about me and I, I always blush because I'm like, wow, my dad's really proud of me and all that I've accomplished as a digital content creator and entrepreneur. That is an amazing story. I mean, I think we can <laughs> close out right here. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, what I find interesting is in your story is you don't just mention you and your accomplishments and what you've done. You've listed out a, um, a, gr- a group of people that seem to be very integral to where you are, to where you've come to this point. You've mentioned your father. You mentioned your mother, you mentioned an uncle, and you mentioned your spouse. So mm-hmm. tell me, what is it about family to you and how that fueled you and your self-love and your passion? So I'll be honest with you, Hanifa. I took family for granted. Mm-hmm. I had the most amazing childhood. I had both of my parents in the home. I had beautiful memories of Christmas. My dad paid for my brother and I to go to university. He paid for private school and elementary. My aunt and uncle would pay for piano lessons. My brother and I are super tight. We were um, the top piano duet in Toronto for almost five years. We had a childhood that was pretty much out of a book. My mom was an angel and still an angel in terms of raising us and making us into amazing citizens of the world. But my parents really put their time and effort into us, into us. You know, it wasn't like figure it out on your own. They literally guided us through life. And people even to this day ask their advice. Mm. My parents were extremely rich. You know, they weren't extraordinary, but they were willing to give their children the best and their all. And me, like seeing the result, not just me, but my brother and what we've become and who we've become and the impact we've made on the world is a result of having that village behind us. Um, Mm. I also want to shout out my aunt who 
interesting fact, my aunt married my mom, my dad's brother. So they uh-huh. actually met at my parents' wedding. Um, so two sisters married um, two brothers, a pair okay. of brothers. So we're very, 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 very close. And we work together as a team. We move as a team. And that's really contributed to my success and my growth and my determination. Then what's interesting is I'm sure leaving your home of 30 years, leaving Canada to come all the way across states to San Francisco, California, mm-hmm. had to be quite the challenge for you, your family. Tell me about that transition and how you navigated that from an emotional perspective. Yeah. Uh, emotionally, I was super strong. Yeah. Um, even up until the day I had to leave, I had not shared one tear because I felt like I was on a mission. It was a calling to come to California. Mm-hmm. It was bigger than me. It was beyond me. And the way everything fell into place, I had to trust God Mm. to do what he's asking me to do. Um, To look at my aunt, who is my mom's sister, and see her eyes like bloodshot red um, because she was so, you know, sad. Um, And to see my mom kind of not sure what was going on, but willing to go with it because it was a calling. It was hard. Yeah. Um, to leave my roots of 30 years, I, I gave up all of that network um, mm. to go to a new land where I knew no one. Mm-hmm. We packed two suitcases and seven boxes and we moved to a new state. Um, but I, I told my mom, she said, so why do you really want to do this? And I told her, I'm like, remember when you left the beautiful sunny island of Trinidad and Tobago to come to the cold Canada yeah. <laughs> I'm like, with a hope and a dream? I'm like, that's yeah. the same energy I'm doing it on. And I'm going to start again and I'm going to build again and I'm going to build bigger and it's going to be stronger. That drives me to get up every single day and do what my calling is, you know, and to act on every day because I'm here for a purpose. Um, It's not by chance. It's literally, you know, divine timing for me. Yeah. And that drive you talk about is interesting in your experience because I remember us talking about what happened for you in seventh grade with math and how that drove you to basically become top in your class in science, in the sciences. And now you talk about this experience that on the outside looking in, it sounds like it would be a negative emotional experience, but you turned it into something else to drive you to, to create what you have today and to keep pushing forward. A lot of women have a hard time taking these negative experiences and turning it into fuel. So how are you able to do that? I love a challenge. Mm-hmm. I love any challenge, big or small. And that's something that I loved as a child and now as an adult woman, is that I love that it could possibly go wrong or I'm facing something where people tell me I, I won't do well. So like, mm-hmm. you know, math, I had started in grade seven and I was like not hitting great marks. I was, you know, maybe closer to the bottom of the class. And I said, no, mm-hmm. I got to be on the top of the class. So I started to come, you know, go to late night tutoring, early morning tutoring. My dad had a friend who was a mathematician. He would come at my house at, come to our house at 5 a.m. in the mornings to teach me math for free. And that was, you know, my dad's contribution. He couldn't pay for a tutor, but he had a friend who could help me. Um, yeah. And slowly I was working towards, you know, making, getting to the top 20, then the top 10. So for me, a challenge is an opportunity to really shine because you're you're starting from rock bottom. 
Yeah. So I think of it like a trampoline. You know, when you first bounce on the trampoline, you know, you're bouncing steady. But to get to the next level, you got to dip lower. You got to bounce lower. We got to go back and say that again. Okay. <laughs> I just had a moment. I could see it and I could feel it. Okay, let's, yeah. let's I'm calling this you pin this the trampoline effect. So anybody listening to hashtag trampoline effect, tag at Miss Church Dress. Say that again, please. So I think of it like as as a trampoline. You know those small trampolines you can have at house at your house to work out? And yeah. you bounce, right? And as you're bouncing steadily, right, you just stay in the same height. Yeah. But when you start to bounce lower from a lower point, you bounce higher. Yeah. Right. So it just feels like, hey, I'm accomplishing more, but you got to yeah. start, you got to dip lower. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what life is about, right? If you're just staying at the same point, you're not going to get much higher than that. But the bounce back is the thing that's uh, miraculous yeah. and what people notice, right? People don't notice that steady pace. They, they love the bounce back and that story. You know, when I first did my research and read about you, I thought, well, okay, biochemists, to style blogger. I don't get the connection mm-hmm. and I'm very process oriented as you are, but I still cannot get the connection between like being a, a researcher in science. Mm. And let's talk about that connection and how the field of science or the work you were doing in science correlates to the, the work you do now as a digital content creator, as a style blogger, mm. as a brand strategist, as just a total media machine. Tell me about that correlation. So I'll never forget the day sitting in my grade 10 math class, um, science class saying, I think I want to be a a chemist. And then I proceeded to go home and tell my mom, I think I want to be a chemist. And she was looking at me like, what? (laughs) You want to be a what? (laughs) She's like, that's not a thing that, you know, you could really. And I'm like, no, I really want to do this. And since that day, I've been obsessed with science. Um, I've always been one of the very few Black people in my science classes through high school, through university. And for me, science is a huge, again, another challenge. It's not easy to do. Your brain is, you know, you have to be working at a high level to understand how all these pieces go together and how they work. And that's actually similar to what I do day to day, you know, as a digital content creator. The internet has this amazing subconscious PR that makes being a digital content creator, very it appears to be very easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you just stand with a can of Coke and you take a pretty picture and you get paid millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's not how the business goes unless unless you're, you know, one of the Kardashians or you're an amazing right. celebrity. It takes a lot of different pieces, moving pieces at all times, and you have to be able to manage them. And that's the same thing with running a science experiment or running a clinical trial or working Mm -hmm. in the lab or processing samples. There's many different things. Some are controls, some are variables, Mm -hmm. but you have to be able to make them all work to get the result that you want. So scientists teach me a lot on how to like let my brain, you know, really work um, and push beyond its limits to be able to get the results and the success that I want. Let's talk about some of those details and what you currently do. Like, what is a typical day for you? What does it look like? What are the steps? How do you schedule it? How do you process it? Just tell me how you do it all. So when I first started, it was just me. It was me by myself trying to figure it out. Um, I would wake up every morning at 6 or 6 a.m. trying to create content. And creating content, I break it down into three pieces. One is that you have to have photos, 
you have to have copy and you have to have a point of view. And that's what will help you create content. So creating photos, I spend a certain hours, certain amount of hours per day, usually on a Thursday, shooting all of my photos. So I shoot photos for different brands, content that I'm going to be producing later on. And I try to do that in four hours on a certain type of certain day. So that's usually Thursday. And then I write based off of those photos, I'm inspired to write copy. So when I see the photo, I kind of have an idea connected to a memory and continue the story in my blog post, on my Instagram, LinkedIn, everywhere. And then my point of view, I'm always, you know, I have a foundation of a point of view, but I'm always changing it based off of seasons. Three years ago, I was very into like funky clothes and like fashion. But now as I become, you know, more of more mature, you know, I'm talking more about home life and finances Mm -hmm. and career Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how to like build as an entrepreneur. So I'm always evolving and I want my audience to stay along with me for the journey, right? Yes, I Mm -hmm. still talk about fashion, but um, I want them to understand like the importance of credit, why, you know, why you should look into like home ownership and all of that content as well, as Mm -hmm. well as things as like a a blow dryer. I did a partnership with Dyson and that will lead me to talk about my Dyson vacuum. I just purchased a home. So it's evolving and changing, but I'm trying to do my best to keep it aligned with the audience that I'm serving. Like my audience is not just here to be a fan. You know, I really want to serve them with the information that I'm creating with them in mind. Okay. So when you evolve as you should, which is great to hear, how do you manage um, audience or follower reaction and how do you adjust for that? Or do you just say, look, they're going to come along if they want and be okay. How do you handle that? So I usually create content in my brand voice, right? Um, And brand voice is the best way to reach your audience. You know, you could have any topic, um, but you have to speak on it in your brand voice. So for example, you know, I had brought on this whole segment on my blog about credit and the importance of having good credit. That was kind of out of the blue. And that was my first test to see what, how they would respond. Um, and I thought they're not going to like this. Like I'm supposed to be fashion, beauty, you know, luxe lifestyle. Why am I talking about credit? But the outpouring of support people had about credit. Huh. Yeah. I was shocked. I was like, it was a paid partnership. I'm with a law firm, a Lex- Lexington law firm here, here in the Bay people were upset. People were emailing me. I had bad credit and I've been able to build it up. Can you help me out? Can you give me more resources? I'm going to check out this brand. And it let me realize, hey, I can test the waters. If I didn't get a great response, I don't know if I would do it again. Um, But I really, you know, I'm really thinking about them and not me. Um, Yes, it was something that was paid um, so it's a source of revenue, but I really wanted that feedback to make sure that this is okay. Um, and that I can do it again if I had to, and that it's showing that, you know, my audience, even though I'm evolving, they're also getting older as well. Um, right. And they have different needs that I have to meet as a creator. Good point. Continuing on with the brand discussion, tell me about how your your travel brand and how that worked, because I was excited to learn about mm-hmm. how travel brand partnerships work and how, you know, you have this amazing experience and you see these beautiful pictures. And like you said, it seems like it's just so easy to do. But tell me about the process involved with the brand partnerships on your travel side. So the, the travel part of my brand, I, I kind of fell into that. Uh, I had just gotten married and my husband and I, he wanted to go to Mexico 
he told me there's a new hotel in Mexico. I want to stay there. Let's go check it out. It's brand new. And, you know, I do believe in God. And I just got this idea. Like, God's like, reach out to them and let them know you're coming. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, what would be the point? And I reached out to them and I'm like, I'm coming. Like, it'd be great to like work, you know, for me to shoot some pictures, which is something that I always do. I love taking pictures. I've been taking pictures since I'm a child all the time. And I said, let's take pictures and I will, you know, promote the hotel on my page. And I reached out to the SVP and uh-huh. she was like, sure. And I was wow. like, what? And she's like, here's the director <laughs> of digital for that hotel. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, okay. I spoke to him and he was like, absolutely. He's like, how do you want this to go? And I was looking at him like, how, what do you mean? Like what? I, I had no idea what I had offered and what I was going to get. I told him, like, you know, I'll take pictures and you can pay for them. And if you want any from the real, you could take, you could pay for them. And he's like, sure. I didn't even negotiate anything. (laughs) And I show up in Mexico at Los Cobos and my husband and I pulled up and the general manager of the hotel was meeting, met us at the front door. And that's when I realized, whoa, this industry is going to be mine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They put us in the presidential suite. Mm-hmm. They were sending food, drinks, but they had an itinerary planned for me. They had gifts. They had tours planned, all complimentary. My husband's like, what's all of this for again? I'm like, well, I told them <laughs> I'll take some pictures uh-huh. and share them. And he's like, so all of this is, and we were both like dumbfounded, grateful, but super dumbfounded. Yeah. And that started a year long partnership with JW Marriott Hotels. They were so impressed with what I had done. As a new hotel was opening up, they were offering for me to go there. As I was going to different cities, I was, you know, pitching them ideas of what I could create for them. Um, we became so so connected that, you know, I was share I was doing research and seeing, okay, what is new at the hotel? What should I promote? And since I've worked with JW Marriott, I've worked with so many other hotels mm-hmm. um, in New York, all over the world to to create travel content. I'm also one of the top 10 reviewers on TripAdvisor and the top 1% of reviewers in the Bay Area. So I've built an amazing travel community there as well. Um, So it's not just Instagram cute pictures. I'm actually reviewing hotels. um, And that's the value that I'm bringing when I'm actually going to a hotel. So what's amazing is you said, I didn't know what I was doing. But somehow you figured out how to turn what you didn't know you were doing into a year-long partnership with the JW Marriott and several other um, establishments. So how did you figure out what you were doing? When I first started, when I decided I wanted to be a blogger, I didn't say I'm just going to, you know, when my husband said start a blog, I started researching blogging. I was researching day and night. I want to see who the top girls are. I want to see the type of content they're creating. How are they pumping out new blog posts every week? How are they shooting their photos? I watched maybe 24 fashion movies. I was doing research. I was looking at old fashion videos, fashion shows. These are mm-hmm. things that you know I had affinity to as a young child. But because I was pursuing medicine, I kind of fell off. So I said, yeah. I want to resubmerge myself in this industry to see what it's like. And based off of what I was seeing, I kind of had an idea of what I should mimic in my own business. 
And I realized, okay, at the time, I don't know if you know the blonde salad. She was like one of the top bloggers. She had just got a clothing line. She had just got like a jewelry deal. And I'm like, you know what? That's what the ultimate goal is for me to be able to partner with brands and represent them. So I had an idea of what, what it should look like. I didn't know the whole legal and the whole negotiation piece, but I knew I wanted to do something similar to that. And I wanted my audience to see that I was doing that. And I wanted other brands to see that I was doing that. It was a whole spiral effect that I want, you know, I was trying to portray and mm. communicate that, hey, I've gotten to the standard where brands want me to be associated with them. And I wow. knew how powerful that was. So some of this, I mean, the beginning stages sounded like you were building the airplane while you were flying it. And then eventually yeah. you figured out how to build airplanes and you had a, you yeah. had a process. Let's talk about your faith, because throughout our conversation, you bring up the, the importance of God leading you through your processes and you believe in God, as I do as well. So I'm glad to even be able to open this discussion um, what is that? What is religion and your identity to you, and why is it important? So the church is a huge part of my world. Uh, my father and my grandma were the first fifty members of a church that has grown to over three thousand in membership in Toronto, Canada. My parents' contribution to our home church in Toronto is that's their legacy, and it's amazing to see my brother carry it on through his ministry with the young people being a, you know, a leader and my contribution was music. So I've sung for many years since I was five years old at churches, at charity events. Um, so it's not really a surprise that my name is called Miss Church Dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get asked all the time, what's up with the name? Where did you get that? Church is my world. And the impact on me, not only in my business, but my faith in my business is great. You know, there's been some times when I've just felt like I'm not doing this anymore, but I remember God calling me to this. So, you know what? I have to do it. It's not about me. It's about other people. It's about uh, inspiring another generation. Hmm. And it's it's about letting people know that you have the option, that you can do this. So for me, my faith is everything in my brand. A, A lot of the opportunities that I have received, you know, people ask me, so like, how did you get a brand deal with this person? And how did you do it? And and I, and I look at them and I said, how? I'm like, these things showed up to me. Hmm. You know, I've seen people who blogged for decades before me who haven't been able to do the work that I've yeah. done, haven't yeah. worked with the brands that I've worked with, yeah. you know, haven't been able to build the community and the financial stability that I've been able to build. And it's literally yeah. because of, you know, the favor of God. Um, yeah. I've never shied away from this church. I've never had a problem with people asking me, to like not use Miss Church Rest. It's always been a very intriguing piece. I'll give you a story. Um, I was at Neiman Marcus and I was there for their launch of Rent the Runway. Um, I met with the CEO and she was there at the time she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went around the circle. So tell me you're like, you know, with all the bloggers, which I thought was unique that the CEO would meet with the bloggers, but that mm-hmm. tells you how powerful we are. Yes. The CEO wants to meet with all the bloggers in the room. So she had us in a circle (laughs) and she's going around. So what's your blog name? What's your blog name? What's your brand name? And she got to me and I said, my brand is Miss Church Dress. And her eyes literally lit up and she walked directly to me and pulled me to the side. She's like, so tell me about this church dress thing. (laughs) Uh She's like, so many of our, 
customers tell us they want new clothes for church. And that's why they sign up. So tell us, like, what's the big deal? Like, why? You know, and after that, we kept in contact. I had a call with her again. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, this church dress thing is getting me in rooms because there's a huge market in the church. Yep. That's a whole new world. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's a huge piece of my business in terms of actually generating business and sustaining my business with my faith. And it's interesting because so, yeah. you would think it would have the counter effect when I know. It's not. people think it's negative. No. Well, I guess that is also the power of walking in your purpose and being obedient. Mm-hmm. It's just inspiring and it's amazing. So knowing the history that you're, you've had in your in your home of in Canada with your parents being integral to the church community and leaving their legacy, and then you leave all of that and come to San Francisco, right? Where I don't know how faith and religion plays out over there in the Bay Area. <laughs> But how did you cope with that? Did you have to visit a lot of churches? Did you know immediately where to go to find? I mean, what was that like? Another challenge. I mean, my one church in Toronto had over 3,000 members. Mm -hmm. Out of There's five um, churches in my denomination, Seventh-day Adventists in the Bay Area, and there's only 1,200 members amongst all of those five churches. So each, you know... Five churches, total membership, 1,200. Hmm. Um, the Bay Area is one of the most unchurched areas in the war, in the U.S. Okay. Um, I had to go f- to many churches before I found a church um, hmm. that I would feel comfortable. And I went to Sunday churches that worship on Sundays and churches that worshiped on Saturdays. Um, and it was rough because my husband and I are huge, you know, we love to participate. We are, my husband's very into AV. I, we love to be on the praise team. We love to be mm-hmm. in the choir, food bank. So to be away from that and having to tune in online of our home church, didn't feel yeah. didn't feel good. And one day we hopped on Facebook. I don't know what happened. And my husband's like, there's a church streaming on Facebook right now. And it was a church in Oakland. We went, we're like, they probably have like a physical church. So the next week we went there. And it was an amazing experience, a vibrant praise team, a beautiful choir. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've been ever since. So we transferred our members membership over there and we've been very involved and we love it. That's good. I'm glad you guys found somewhere because I know the headache of trying to find a church home. In the Bay, a church has a different meaning, right? With yeah. all the different challenges of homelessness and families in need, yeah. the church is almost like a shelter, not yep. necessarily a church. You know, you're not really getting the service and that community. You're getting more, you're spending a lot of time serving, but you can serve, but you got to eat too. Yes. So I wanted a church where I could serve, but I'm also being filled. And I love where I'm at right now in Oakland. And um, we're really making our mark there and helping the community as well. Yeah, that's lovely and just beautiful. So you mentioned your husband and in your whole process with finding church and even early on. So what it, what was it about your husband? What How did you know? Because it sounds like you all are very Good much equally yoked and in sync. So what was it? So even, you know, the husband partnership, marrying and finding my husband, you know, I look at him and sometimes and I just can't believe our story. Yeah. And according to my brother, it doesn't sound realistic, you know. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> He's like, your story doesn't sound realistic. 
So I'll tell you, I was, um, I met him in university. We met at a church in the back uh-huh. pew. I was uh-huh. visiting and he was visiting as well. And when I saw him, you know, he, we had been friends on like MSN. I don't know if anyone knows MSN. Um, and through another friend and we actually met at this church to kind of, you know, take this from MSN to in person. And uh-huh. from the moment I saw him, I was like, Oh, like the Lord said, like, this is who you're going to marry. And I was like, what? I'm like, I kind of want to like date. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. this is who you're going to marry. So like, you know, just, just be happy with that. And that's the story. We met, we were both in university, mm-hmm. broke university college students, mm-hmm. um, both from, our parents are both from the West Indies, Trinidad, ironically. Mm-hmm. And that was like a common ground, right? If, you know, your parents are both immigrants from the, from Trinidad everything's very familiar. We, he worked at Best Buy. I worked at Esprit, a clothing company. He, we worked, we both went to rival universities. He went to uh, Ryerson. I went to the University of Toronto. And once we started to get into a relationship, we just kind of said, we are going to push together. We're going to work together. Mm. You know, even at that age to build everything that we want. I would drop him lunch at Best Buy. He would drop me lunch. If I had leftovers at home, I would pack it for, you know, we would just work together as a team. I remember that one night we were dating, um, we went on a date and I came home and I'm like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm gonna, what do you think about these apartments? You know, like no shade or anything. And I said, no, I want to own a home. I want to buy a house. I'm like, that's been my dream. I've never wanted to live or rent an apartment. And he said, how are you going to do that? Like, how? And I said, no, you better figure it out. Because that's what <laughs> I said, my dad is not going to accept any apartment, take his daughter from his nice house to put her in any apartment. And yes. he said he, he was not happy. He was upset. And I went home that night and everybody was crying on my mom's shoulder. I'm like, mom, he wants me to, wants to put me in an apartment. But, you know, in Canada, apartments are kind of like, you know, the in. You know, Canada and the U.S. has different language. Apartments are kind of like starter places where you first come from the West Indies, you know? Okay. Um, And it's kind of like rundown old buildings where you're just trying to make a way. Uh And I told my mom, she's like, you're not going to go in that. She's like, don't worry. Like, he's going to figure it out. And ironically, the next day he came to me with a pamphlet. And Uh he's like, if we're going to buy a house, we need to start saving for a mortgage. And I was sold. I'm like... This guy has spent in one day has now brought me a strategy on wow. how to for us to save for a mortgage, Ooh. and I'm like, that's how I move, and that's how I want to be led. Yes, right? um, yes, and I, this is who I want to lead my home. Yes, how did I know? People ask me, how did you know? I said, you know what? My husband in Canada, when it starts to snow, the snow's up to your shin, and he would get up at five a.m hop on that bus in that snow to go to Best Buy and work for $7 an hour. That's how I knew that's who I wanted to be with. And you know who I also saw do that? My father, my dad, rain, snow, sleet, or, you know, flood. He would get up at 5am and go to work. And that was something I always admired. I'm like, I can't even get up in the morning, but he would go so that his family would have a loaf of bread in the evening. And to see a young man at 19, carry on, you know, be that committed, not to me necessarily, but to himself at the time. I said, that's who I want to to be, to lead and guide my home because I know no matter what he'll have, you know, have our back and have us at the forefront of his mind. Now, three years later, I'm seeing, you know, the results of that. The harvest is in full bloom. Like 
the life that we've built here in San Francisco, I can trust my husband's vision. You know, for me to pick up from Toronto to come to, you know, mm-hmm. San Francisco, I was willing to trust him. I knew that he would make the best of this opportunity and shine in his career and lead our family and take us to the next level. And that's how I knew those sacrifices that we made. You know, when our friends were going to parties, we were at home sharing, you know, a popcorn, like, a you know, one of those popcorns you make in the a microwave popcorn, yeah. Yeah. trying to save yeah. money to save the down payment. Now, three years later, we have properties all over the world. We have, we've accomplished so much and we're not even, we're barely 35. You know, we know the, the benefit of sacrifice. And I was talking yeah. to my aunt about that. I'm like, we've sacrificed so much to be yeah. able to get where, where we are today. And now people are like, oh my gosh, y'all balling, you guys are this. Yes, you guys are seeing the fruit. The fruit. I said, but you never saw the root. You're seeing the fruit, but not the root. That's a hashtag. No, <laughs> you got good you ones. Know? Okay. <laughs> I mean, these are some good ones. They, they're seeing the fruit, but they never saw the root. Yes. And so you have, I mean, I am so impressed by your confidence, your energy, and I know all of it is the God in you, but, but I can't yes. help sit there. Like after we had our initial discussion, I went to my husband and I said, babe, I need confidence like that. Like she was telling me how amazing she is. I I can't even get those words out of my mouth half the time because Mm. I'm just nervous about how I'll be received. Like how Mm. do you just, and I know part of that is your, your husband and his support and the family, but what is it about you that makes you know and trust that you are winning? You're amazing. You're awesome. You're beautiful. I mean, Mm. what is it? I, I remember my mom, when I was a child, I would go swimming, you know, like swimming lessons. Mm-hmm. And then after, because we got the beautiful black hair, we got to wash it, take the chlorine out. Mm-hmm. And my mom, when I would sit with her, she would tell me, you're beautiful. Nobody can take your beauty away from you. You're beautiful. She's like, no. And those words still stick to my, stick with my, my, my memory. And now my mom has dementia. And it's the same thing she tells me every time she sees me, you're beautiful. Nobody can take that shit. You have my face and you're beautiful. Even now in her, as she's going through this season of life, it reminds me that I'm beautiful. And let's pull the beauty away. One thing about me, nobody can outwork me. I know how to put in the work. I'm dedicated to the work. I have years of research. I'll research something to the, te- you know, to the very beginning because I know that work will yield amazing fruit in the end. That's a huge piece of my success. I put in a lot of work, you know, even my, you know, my husband, it's only two of us in the house. And he's like, you've been in that room all day. And I'm not <laughs> in here looking at magazines and like taking selfies. You'll see a couple of those on Instagram, but I'm yeah. doing some serious work. work. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how can I get the next brand deal? How can I get this client to sign with me? How can I make more money for my clients? How can I make yeah. more money for myself? How can I serve my audience? What's the plan for the next two weeks? The plan for the next three weeks? The plan for the next month? What's my ultimate goal? How do I pay my mom's healthcare bills? How do I, you know, automate pretty much my whole life? You know, wow. those are the types of things that are going through my brain. Do I, sometimes I don't have the answers, but the, but the internet is the place with all the answers. I'll never forget. I have a friend and I'll shout her out. Dr. Honey Goods. Um, okay. She's now married. Um, her family has a real estate empire. I met her when I was maybe um, in grade six and she gave me my first email and she said, this is going to be your email address. She got my 
she created the email address. She gave me the password. She said, this is your email. And it was like Qualia25 at Yahoo. Uh-huh. And that's probably the best thing she ever did for me because now I was forced to learn the internet and you know pay attention to what email was, what the trends are. And now my expertise is being able you know, to take businesses from brick and mortar to digital, right? And to build people into bloggers and digital content creators. You know, as long as I have my computer and a Wi-Fi and a dream, I can accomplish anything. And I was forced to do that because, you know, to go back when, you know, I was a bit conflicted when I was pursuing medicine because I'm like, my husband's career, he's always on a plane. He's always all over the world. If I'm a doctor, I'll be in a hospital. He'll be on a plane. I'm like, that leaves a huge void in our marriage. Yeah. Right. And I said, I have to find a career that moves with me. You know, I don't go to work. Work comes to me. Yes. And I said, you know what? How can I do that? And that was just the first seed that got me thinking into like, maybe it has to be on the internet, but what would it be? And paying attention to it. So when, you know, when he suggested a blog, it didn't sound very, very far off for me. I just didn't know how I would monetize it. Yeah. Right. And how would I make it bigger and how make how would I bring income in that I could survive off of? and um, actually build a career. For me, it's the challenge is the drive. And that's what keeps me going. My dedication to the, to the I love to be here for the marathon. I'm not here for the, the quick dollar. Yep. You know, I will have some colleagues, you know, all they care about is the next brand deal. Listen, if I have to work for free for the next six months to mm-hmm. be able to get a million dollars, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, in the next year, I'd rather do that than work yep. for 30 days and get a thousand. And those are the types of decisions I have to make day to day when brands reach out to me. I have to think of, I have to predict their success that will Mm -hmm. lead to my success. I have to predict how hard they're willing to work so that I have more, I have a longer relationship and our Mm -hmm. relationship is not just short term, you Mm -hmm. know, because even with serving my audience, if I'm working with brands all over the place, it doesn't really build their trust. If I'm working with Nike today, Reebok tomorrow, Adidas next week, which one do you really love? But if yeah. I'm working with Nike this month, then Nike next month, and you know maybe for a lower rate, I'm building trust, and they're understanding that hey, Aquila's re- really has our best interest and is not here trying to hustle every coin. What would Aquila of today tell Aquila of 2016 after first moving to a new state? I would tell myself and you know, the 2016 self that I am good anywhere. And that's what I learned that I can maneuver, I can adapt, I can pivot, I can change. Um, And I, you know, I say I'm good, but I think it's really credited to my family. We, We can go anywhere and we can shine there. We're not afraid of having to start again to reconnect. And some people would have been shy away from moving to a new city, but I was up for it. Let's see if I can rebuild this again and how many times I can do it and how well. So definitely, I would tell myself that you're good anywhere. Be confident and lead in your strength. I am Aquila Farrell, and I'm disrupting balance by pivoting in the best direction. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. 
You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.